And we are live on our third night of Republican National Convention coverage. Two down, two to go. My name is Matt Binder of Doomed. And I'm Jared Holt from Shitpost. And uh, we're going to do this. We're going to get through. Here we go, right? I mean, I can't believe we've made it this far. <laughs> I know. And, like, every night is getting later and later. And, you know, I we talked about last night. Surely someone at the RNC is watching this show and thinking, like, oh, these these young leftist boys, we have to tire them out so their takes are less developed. Uh, but I saw Trump sort of come out after Pence was done speaking and my stomach did twist in a knot. I kept thinking like at any point he was just going to grab the mic and then we were going to be up until like three in the morning tonight trying to break this down. So uh, I guess that there are some silver linings to the evening. Right. You know, I, I could have seen him do that, I guess, but but I, I felt like he he wasn't going to pull that because he would upstage himself. The, the, Trump's big night is tomorrow. Everyone's looking forward to the main event, you know, on Thursday night. Donald Trump, the final speaker, the headliner. Why would he upstage himself the night before? And you know, and then tomorrow there's people who have to go on after that, and then he's got to outdo himself in the final. He's got to outdo tonight's impromptu speech with tomorrow night's prepared speech he wouldn't have done that yeah you might be right but i i just i saw him coming down the runway and i was like okay he's just saying hi and then he starts walking up the stairs and i was like oh please don't he walks up to the podium where pence is and i'm just like no 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 please like We'll stay up tomorrow. I'm sure Trump is going to run over time like he always does at everything I've ever seen him talk at. He just blows through the time constraint. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know, man. It's it's such a weird reaction to have to, like, see him walking towards a podium and just, like, be staring at the clock and, like, looking at the alarms and, like, figuring out when I have to wake up tomorrow to work and just be like, oh, come on, please, please, just like this once I'm begging you, like, do not talk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's uh, tomorrow. We will be up late. I can assure you tomorrow. I mean, what is it right now? We're starting. Pence went what? It's like 1115, 1120. By the time we got this feed up, it's 1130. Um, you know, tomorrow we probably won't get started till I'm going to assume midnight. Yeah. I, I'm just posting in for the long haul. You know, I we've been trying to keep these about an hour give or take uh some minutes just so we don't exhaust ourselves and spill out every single take that we could ever have or you know just wear wear ourselves out (laughs) frankly um but i i think tomorrow night's gonna be a late one for us right man it'll be worth it and i'm happy that everyone who's tuned in to the live stream right now at youtube.com slash mattbinder and everyone who listens to the audio podcast version whether it be at doomedpod.com or at uh go ahead jared get your uh plug in at shtpost.substack there you go there you go right shit post uh, on your podcast feeds the i and shit post is an exclamation point 
I did it so that I could <laughs> make that the name on iTunes, and every day I regret it a little bit more because right, it's right. harder to find. It is very confusing, and uh, well, that's okay. I like it better that way because then people just give up and look for Doomed, I'm sure. so. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We'll have some words after this, Matt. <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, being that we are live on my YouTube channel, uh, you can drop a super chat in the live chat, and it can be a question, a comment, and I will read it uh, on this live show. Uh, and uh, if it's a question, Jared and I will do our very best to answer it. Um, so we'll give people time to get that in. We've had some few, uh, few, few good questions the past couple of days. So mm-hmm. looking forward to uh, another few good questions. <laughs> um, yeah, but let's get started here. Let's, let's dive in here. And, and one thing I noticed about this was... Was it just me, or I know we were talking about how it, how it, how it, uh, you know, the the night went long in terms of when Pence got up there, and now it's we're starting at eleven thirty. But while we were watching, at least before Pence took the stage, I felt like everything moved quicker. Like I was actually shocked when Pence took the stage because I was like, "Wait, that's it? The night, the night's done?" I didn't feel that way the past two nights. I, I don't know if they're packing it in tighter. I did notice that I think there were a lot more speakers tonight. They just all spoke a lot less. Perhaps that's uh, that's what made it feel like it went by quicker. Because uh, the, yeah. past, the past two nights, some people felt like they were, you know, going on forever with their speeches. Yeah, and, it, you know, tonight it seemed like they had uh, more videos recorded at off-site locations. So maybe the variety made it feel like it was going faster versus those first two nights of, you know, sp- Speech in this empty auditorium, cutscene. Speech in this empty auditorium, cutscene. It was like speech in the empty auditorium. Oh, and here's Joni Erst out in, I think it's Iowa, uh, you know, talking right. from afar. Oh, here's, you know, a hype video of Mike Pence talking somewhere else, you know. And uh, maybe there was just some more visual variety or something, but I kind of had the same sense. It did feel like time moved a bit quicker uh, on this night. Right. Uh, I also noticed the th- a theme again. I think there's these themes every night. Last night, you your to you your theme was that we're we were hearing about this non-existent Trump that does like, like this man who's not Donald Trump, who they're talking about is Donald Trump, uh, right? That was your that was what your takeaway was yesterday. Yeah, for sure. And I've got a fresh one for today. Uh, I, I do as well. Uh, why don't you go first? Go ahead. What What is your what did you think the theme of tonight was? Tonight, we all uh, learned about girl boss Trump. Mm. Trump uh, loves women so much. Definitely did not make comments about grabbing them by the pussy or anything right. like that. Ooh, Jared, why uh, you say pardon, such a par- thing? pardon my language. Uh, <laughs> you know, and. You know, I feel like the rhetoric was, you know, it's been sort of existential throughout the whole convention. But tonight, especially, uh, you had a lot of speakers kind of pose this as like, an, you know, this is not a necessarily partisan election. This is like an existential election. Do you want America to be America or to be taken over by the radical socialist left? Right. Um, which has been around as campaign messaging forever, but it was especially pronounced tonight. Right. Uh, you know, f- we'll talk about the individual speeches more in a second, but, uh, you know, vi- uh, Vice President uh, Mike Pence 
said something to the degree of like, you will not be safe in Joe Biden's America. And I think that is certainly, especially on the heels of, you know, some 17 year old militia wannabe shooting and killing two people in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, it's alarming to me. Right, right, and and your your first your first half there about the uh, you know it being women for Trump night. I guess that that that's a great point. I really uh, I didn't I, I think uh, you know probably subconsciously I felt that, but it didn't occur to me that that was a theme. And looking through this guest list, it seems like there were a lot of uh, women Republicans, Republican women, I should say, on, on tonight's show uh, broadcast. So you know that certainly was a theme. But on your second half. That's where I was sort of feeling the night went. And furthermore, actually, my my specific theme uh, that I felt uh, tonight was that the election was the challenger Donald Trump versus the incumbent Joe Biden. Yeah. They spoke. Yeah, I, they, I, you put it better than I could have right there, but they, they absolutely sp- agree. They spoke about the past four years as if. Donald Trump wasn't the guy in charge. Like all this stuff hasn't been happening under Trump. You know, they like you mentioned, they mentioned the protests and you know the the unrest in the country, uh, and they treated it like Donald Trump has no say over any of this, and Joe Biden does. One person actually specifically, I think I tweeted this out. Uh, GOP Representative Elise uh, Stefanik. Uh, she's a, a, a house member from the from the great state of New York. Um, she said something to the effect of America has a choice the ele- in this election. Donald Trump versus the failed leftist policy of the past 47 years. Donald Trump, ha- whatever you want to break down about Joe Biden and leftist policy and uh and him not being leftist, and also uh, 47 years, going back all 47 years. Let's just stick with the fact that Donald Trump has been president for four years already. I mean, what past 47 years? At the very least, she would have had to have said the 47 years before the four years that Donald Trump just was president for. I mean, literally, (laughs) they don't make any sense. Right, And, and this idea that Joe Biden is a leftist Today is laughable, but for 47 years, are you kidding me? Are you like, uh, you know, uh, we don't have to go very far back in Joe Biden's history to see him like eulogizing segregationists and like, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, You know, Joe Biden is hardly, uh, you know, hardly passes the leftist sniff test. So you're voting for Trump, Jared? It would be the pivot of a lifetime. This would be a great time to announce it, right? <laughs> I watched the RNC, and on night three, I became convinced My, for, I'm for, a walk-away Democrat. If, if you didn't get what I was saying, you know, the, the what you just said, if you said that online, it would be greeted with about 50 replies of people going, oh, so you're going to vote for Donald Trump then, huh? Like if you say anything <laughs> slightly critical of Joe Biden, even if you plan on voting for the guy, you're automatically met with, oh, so I guess you're just a Trump supporter then. Which I think is ridiculous. We should scrutinize the right. candidate, yes. right? right? Like, right. because whatever like issues that people on the left are going to find with Joe Biden, you know for damn sure the Republicans are going to find and charge at him at full speed. So, like, right. you know, it is beneficial 
to hear the concerns first from the left uh, and try to, you know, repair them or figure out making amends somehow before, you know, the national stage explodes with it. Right, right. And before we, before we dive too deep into the the, the speeches, I just got to say, because I just thought of it now, um, apparently the entire Beltway listened to uh, our show last night, last night's RNC break, uh, breakdown, because I woke up this morning and all the talk was about why the Hatch Act matters. <laughs> <laughs> and... I want to once again reiterate what my feelings on this were, and it was that, yes, reporters should report this out and people should care about these issues. My, my making fun of were, was, strictly, was strictly on the people who bring that up as if that should be like game, set, match for Donald Trump. Like that, that, um, that bronze hammer tweet where it's like, I'd like to see old Donnie Trump wriggle his way out of this one. Ah, nevertheless, you know what I'm talking about? Like that's right. Those are the people I'm making fun of. Not the people who are literally reporting on the fact that Donald Trump is a, is a, is a grifter and a scam artist and doing very illegal things to promote his campaign. But, um, the Hatch Act. Let's continue. The Hatch Act, man. Yeah, I mean, the Hatch Act is such a small thing compared to just the fucking, you know, the middle finger that the Trump right. administration's thrown up to the rule of law during right. office. It always, it's like, it, really, it seems silly. It really does feel like the people who, who get most upset about the Hatch Act are the ones who are like, sort of just like, also like, oh, well, gotta hand it to Donald Trump for taking out Soleimani. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Soleimani, whatever his pronunciation is. You do not, under any is. circumstances, have Gotta to hand, hand it to him. <laughs> right. And let's use that to segue into the fact that tonight, I think two or three speakers, I think Pence did as well, mentioned uh, Trump taking out the Iranian general, Soleimani, uh, mm -hmm. as if, as if, and they bring it up as if like, the same, uh, and I think I even saw, you know, Ken Klippenstein shared this on Twitter. I was thinking about it before him, Ken. I'm not stealing your uh, thought, but I'm just saying that we had a, a mind meld um, where they tr sort of treat it like the American people will hear that and go like, mm-hmm, just like how uh, Obama took out uh, Osama bin Laden. Trump took out Soleimani. No one, no one in this country knows who he is. But, <laughs> right. You know, I mean, like it's not Osama bin Laden to the American people. It is not. Um, right. Like the news came where it's like we killed Soleimani, and then people were like, "Huh? What? Who?" And then like they learned a little bit about who he was, and they're like, "Oh, I guess that's good." Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, right. Right. Yeah. It, it, it was the same people. It was same, literally like, the same I, people. I certainly didn't know who this guy was. How until... do you not know who Salamani is? What's <laughs> like that? Anyway, this is an RNC show. Let's let's dive right into it. Well, we, we, um, we just were with the Salamani thing. That's to me that was like unbelievable that they're like like because that's how little they got to to pump up Trump because even the things that they another common thing we we, we heard tonight and we've been hearing obviously throughout the whole thing you know what he did for the economy and what he did for uh the coronavirus in the past tense uh, as if the coronavirus no longer happened uh is no longer happening I should say but but tonight it really hit me 
every time they brought up his historic his historic economy, again, they're citing figures from before the pandemic. They are living in a time that no longer exists. I mean, they generally do, usually pre-Civil War era, but they're now living in a more recent time that no longer exists. Um, you know, it, it is uh, sort of astonishing for them to continue to pump up these stats when the reverse is true now. America's historic uh, economy is now historically bad. Right, and I I will confess I did a hashtag resistance style tweet. Uh, I was watching sort of like Trump and Pence go greet the audience, and people are just like jammed together, no masks, trying to get pictures with you know, either one of them. And I was like, hmm, not a lot of social distancing going here. Immediately hated myself and had to go get a beer to like try to forget that I tweeted that. But <laughs> but, but, but it kind of speaks to what you're saying. Like the image of uh, the Trump administration coronavirus response is being put forward again tonight um, by even more powerful individuals is this idea that like, the worst of days have left us when we still have like i think i didn't see any figures from today but i heard yesterday something like 1200 people died of coronavirus so people are still actively dying from this you know maybe the infrastructure in this country has adapted a little bit to to not be so overwhelmed um but this problem hasn't gone away and until we get a vaccine and like hopefully that vaccine is reliable and it works and it you know carries well you know this is going to be with us for the foreseeable future right right so let's let's now let me let me ask you the question i've asked you every night and it's a it's a double it's two questions who do you think uh had the standout speech both uh as a uh for having the worst, and to us, I guess it would be the best speech, <laughs> and for the Republicans, who would be the best speech? Like, who who do you think had the uh, had the speech that made them uh, that made Trump look uh, okay to the majority of America, and who had the speech that was just off the walls, batshit crazy? Um, I I think. My personal favorite speech uh, was Kellyanne Conway's, if only for the line that she said, uh, limited means does not make for limited dreams. And I like died inside where it's like, yeah. oh, you're telling me that if I have like three dollars in my bank account or like I'm, I'm one medical emergency away from like total bankruptcy that, you know, that's not a limit on maybe things I want to pursue like a higher education or a new job path or something like it's just so ridiculous and like condensed into the dumbest little tagline. So I, I got a lot of kicks out of that. Um, for Republicans, I think one of the strongest speeches of the night had to be from uh, Richard Grinnell. Uh, I, I think his, you know, his words on foreign policy, uh, his, uh, you know, offer to, speak out against the foreign policy of prior uh, administrations, even conservative administrations, as like a failure in an effort to export democracy across the world, I think, uh, you know, resonates with a lot of public opinion in this country. And it's something that a lot of politicians 
uh, don't want to talk about. So anytime, you know, someone in the room can kind of talk about the elephant that's standing there uh, and, and do so to support Trump, I think that's going to be advantageous to them. Right, right. You know, I guess it, it was it was this, thinking about it, it. It was a strong speech, I guess, if you don't know who Richard Grinnell is. Exactly. Right. I mean, and, and like, and I mean, and this I, guy, this I guy, I think and, that most people don't. Right. Sort of right. So that's why we're going to educate them right now, Jared. For people who are unaware, the guy who is talking about the failed foreign policy of previous administrations, even Republican administrations, specifically the Bush administration, because he brought up Afghanistan and Iraq. Well, I mean, Richard Grinnell, uh, this is the guy who literally worked under John Bolton and was a, like a, a basically was a spokesperson for Bush during that same time period, uh, uh, talking up the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. <laughs> so uh, good thing he's the guy to go out there and talk about it. Right. And if he wants to make amends, sure, whatever. Great. But I don't like, think that's what he's doing, Jerry. I, yeah, I don't think that's what he's doing either. I think it's a very cynical political move. Um, but, you know, I, I think out of all of them, you know, tonight I was also underwhelmed by speeches, you know, like previous nights that I expected to be like totally off the wall, like Laura Trump, uh, she has been interviewed by all kinds of like weird fringe podcasts, um, has kind of like courted the little sideshow that comes along with the Trump movement on behalf of the campaign. Uh, you know, people like Joni Erst, people like like that Madison uh, Cawthorn kid. That guy's a little work. Um, you know, I, I kind of expected things to be a little bit more intense. Um, right. They were underwhelming, especially Laura Trump. I'm going to disagree with you on, on Madison and uh, the, 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 uh, the kid who's about to become the youngest congressperson in, uh, in history, I believe, right? Um, we'll get to him in a second. But yeah, Laura Trump was definitely underwhelming. I was expecting her to, like you said, she's basically, how much, like, tr the Trump campaign pays her close to $200,000 to basically be their main, like, media spokesperson or liaison. Like, she's constantly out there doing interviews. She's the host of their live streams whenever they do official campaign live streams. Uh, she is like their, uh, what's his face? Uh, the guy who used to host American Idol. Uh, <laughs> I'm having a mental block. Oh, uh, I Simon, Ryan now, Seacrest. She is their Ryan Seacrest. Thank you. So I expected her to really, you know, obviously Ryan Seacrest, if, uh, you know, if he went out there and talked up the latest uh, conspiracy theories and spread misinformation every night. Uh, but I expected her to go up there and, and sort of steal the show with just her whatever she would say. And she didn't do that. In fact, I would say her speech was probably one of the more forgettable ones. Um, uh, Joni Ernst also expected uh, her to be a little bit um, uh, more off the wall, but uh, you know she lost the 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 uh, the, the <laughs> she, <laughs> she lost the stereotypical Karen hairdo, so that's why she's probably her her brain is now <laughs> forming fully. <laughs> For those who don't know, Joni Ernst used to have like the short Karen hair, uh, you know, the classic hairdo that you see cat the t 
typical Karens have. Uh, and now she, she grew it out. So, you know, I guess, you know, some air is getting through to her. I, okay, but anyway, one thing she did say that, that was funny to me was that Joe Biden is going to, um, what was it, uh, ban animal farms and uh, get, uh, ban animal farms, right? Wasn't that what she said? Ban, uh, you know. Yeah, and like abolish fossil fuels. Which, the, the, you know, the last one I'm, I'm all aboard. Eh, you know, I know the, set, the first one is probably not come entirely, uh, but the second one we could totally 100% do right now. We should do it. Let's do it. So uh, you said you disagreed with me on Madison Cawthorn. And, you know, to me, his speech kind of struck me with like a Dave Rubin style type thing. There was a big to do that he made about how like the modern left is like thinking with its emotions instead of its logic or its ration on what's actually beneficial to them. And, you know, made this big thing where it's like, I welcome liberals, true liberals, to come engage with us in our ideas, and we should define what we support and win the argument. And I was just like, oh, my God, it's the Rubin Report. I'm watching the Rubin Report at the RNC. Uh, but I, I'm curious, you know, you said that kind of it did stand out to you, and it wasn't like kind of as, as cringy or as snoozy for you. So I'm curious you know, kind of what parts of that speech you saw or like what stood out to you in that? Okay, there are two things specifically. There's probably a few other things, but let's get to the main two. Um, one, and this is what I think is, you know, I'm sure the Republican base ate this shit up because they love those those feel-good uh, Facebook video share moments when he got up out of his wheelchair to stand up for the United States of America. They're going to love that. I mean, to me, that's probably going to be the uh, the thing. And, you know, I'm not, you know, it's unfortunate what happened to him. I'm not at all, you know, but they're going to eat this up. And without a doubt, you know, they, they know that type of stuff. I'm sure if he wasn't planning on doing it, they would have asked him to do it. Um, and the second thing was... And this really struck me. This might be the, the moment that sticks with me specifically. Here you have this guy. A Republican has the, the, the typical young Republican look, the fash haircut, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the preppy young Republican jawline, and he's up there on the stage. And he has the audacity to talk about, you know, how the Republican Party is going to truly re is the one that truly represents Martin Luther King Jr's dream. And oh, this yeah, is the yeah. guy and he went on to talk about MLK's dream and to judge a man by the his character and and that's what the Republican Party stands for. And he, as he's saying this, all I could think of was the guy who's dro who's name dropping MLK's name on that stage is the same guy who a few weeks ago was outed for having uh, posted on Instagram a year or two ago photos of him visiting uh, the Eagle's Nest, uh, the um, you know, and and talking up how what an honor it was for him to to be where the Führer was and how the, the the I think he called them like the ultimate evil, but you don't, you don't say it in that sort of way if you're demeaning someone. 
you sort of say that in a way if you are like a young supervillain aspiring to be the main supervillain. You know what I, I mean? It was just and and he deleted the the post because obviously there was you know when you do that you know that that's not something you could spin and flaunt and turn it into a positive. Um, and so the guy up there talking about MLK was the same guy who did that. And then also I've been seeing some. Uh, New reports that just have come by uh, that that actually someone sent me as uh, he was on stage where he has um, I'm going to get more into it. So I'm not going to dive fully in right now uh, because we don't have enough time to give this topic the amount of time it deserves. But there are uh, uh, charges that he has been inappropriate with women in his past. Um, So, yeah, this guy who is about to become the youngest uh, congressperson. Um, what is, how old is he? 25? 20, 24? Something like that? Uh, I, I think he said he was 25. 25, yeah. Oh, man. Like, he, and he's he's one of those like almost sure things to win. Like He's in a very heavy red district. Um, yeah. To me, that's what made that speech stand out. Just what he said combined with what I know about him. Right. And speaking of the sort of invocation of MLK's name, I feel like that's something we've been seeing a lot during this convention. People bringing up MLK quotes, MLK's, uh, you know, vision for a, uh, you know, uh, post-racially segregated America, that sort of thing. Uh, And sort of using that as a positive to spin for Trump, which is kind of ludicrous given how... You know, Trump has gone on so many different like racist attacks against his opponents, has invoked white nationalist rhetoric, has like demonized black and brown people in this country. And then to have people, uh, you know, at one point, even during the night, like a civil rights activist come out, invoke this image of MLK or invoke, uh, you know, the fight for desegregation and racial equality in the name of Trump. uh was that really rubbed me a weird way it it felt very sort of disingenuous and cynical and to repeat my my overarching take from last night it's an image of trump that i simply just don't recognize and i think a lot of people just don't recognize right right no that it's it's a trump that is not uh you know it's not the trump that lives in the reality that we live in so uh, we're at the halfway point here. So I think what we should do is let's get to some super chats, and then we'll jump right Sounds back good. into the uh, to our uh, our breakdown. Uh, so Renee says, as we say in Chile, I wish we lived in the imaginary country the fash lie about. Right, right. You know the 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 idea that we're you know the the Democratic Party is some leftist party, and um, you know there are there's a revolution happening in the streets right now. It's it's ludicrous. Neither of those things are true, um, you know. And I don't say this to demean the protesters who are in the streets. Obviously, I'm just saying that the good work they're doing, unfortunately, is not enough to give the revolution of the Republicans are putting forward. Uh, you know, that's not what's happening. Um, uh, Megan Tastic says, um, <laughs> "Hatch Act." <laughs> That's literally the super chat. Uh, what, what's it? Hatch Act. Hatch Act. <laughs> right? Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Can we get a Hatch Act going in the chat? Folks? Right. Yeah. 
I like that. More, more. I'm gonna arrest Matt Bender for <laughs> violating the Hatch Act. Right. Send me more super chat money with just the words Hatch Act. <laughs> uh, Ron with a super chat. Richard Grenell is a master of doublespeak, praising Trump for being anti-war while simultaneously praising Trump for being pro-war. Right, this big, strong president apparently mm. has, uh, hasn't lifted a finger, according to them, right? Or has actually even brought our troops home, which is also a lie. In fact, he has sent more troops. He, it is true that Trump hasn't like, really started any war of his own. What he has done is he's beefed up the existing wars overseas with even more troops. Right, and Richard Grinnell also is very good at doublespeak on uh, LGBT issues with the Trump administration. Uh, he is one of those people that claims that Trump is like the most pro-gay, pro-you know LGBT president in history. Um, and then also, like at the same time, will kind of flout uh, these protections for quote unquote like religious freedom. Or like provider choice, uh, which are ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, effectively permission slips to discriminate and, uh, you know, deny services or, uh, you know, uh, vending to people of LGBT communities. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, so really good observation there. Uh, JH with a big super chat here, the ten, the the, the $10 super chat. Uh, when do we as Democrats resort to violence? The police are 100% on the side of vile scum. When the election doesn't go our way, what do we do? Uh, I'm going to try to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to take that one in the most, uh, you know, the, the most, uh, you know, <laughs> without, without getting banned from YouTube, I'm going <laughs> to take that one. Um, normally, I would say this, that the thing is that the vast majority of people in this country who vote, at least, are just too comfortable. Um, so that'll never happen. Uh, you know, when it comes down to it, the people who have the most to gain from the system being turned on its head literally can't take the time to do it because they're working all the time and they're raising a family all the time. They have no extra time. They're working a minimum wage job. They just got to do what they got to do for their own family to survive. They come first. And the people who can do something about it are just too comfortable. Um, however, I mean, we are in unprecedented times right now. Normally, I wouldn't say that uh, during a pandemic. Uh, I, I do think that if things don't, fundamentally change when those evictions start rolling through the country. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what it's going to be, but I think we're going to see something happen in terms of just, I mean, I mean, you're, you're seeing it now with these, these protests. I mean, sure, there's been mass protests when there's been other uh, uh, instances of police brutality. You've seen it before. There's, you know, Black Lives Matter started uh, under the Obama administration. What was it? 2015. Um, but the sustained ability for these protesters to be out in many different cities in this country uh, every night in such large numbers, and also on top of that, you're seeing these protests happen in uh, towns where these sort of things don't usually happen. The pr these protests don't usually form. I, I do think you know we're seeing something that is a product of the pandemic. 
Um, I'm not, you know, people would obviously have been upset over George Floyd's murder and there would have been mass protests, but I think we're seeing it taken to the next level because we're also dealing with the pandemic. And, you know, I don't know what happens in the next step, you know, the obvious next step, which is when the evictions come through. And obviously, the, any, 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 uh, anything the economy is, uh, any comeback the economy is experiencing now, whatever little it is, I mean, it, it's not for the long term. I mean, we are undoubtedly going to see a rise in cases in this country bigger than it is now. In fact, we'll probably see the biggest peak, in my estimation, that this country has experienced during this coming winter because we have not experienced a full-blown winter with the coronavirus. And despite what Pence says, uh, I don't think there's going to be a vaccine, at least one that's going to work and be 100% effective. And uh, apparently everyone in the country will get it by the end of the year, like he was touting. Uh, You know, for me, I would never encourage somebody to take proactive violent action for politics i i think that is the last resort of last resorts and like you should only get there when you exhaust all all other options right like and shit has to be very very bad um but we're not even close to exhausting all the options here uh you know part of how we got in this mess to begin with is i you know in my opinion uh there are so many different avenues and checks on powers that our government just hasn't, you know, felt pressure to explore. Um, there hasn't been sufficient, you know, street movements and protests showing opposition to. Um, and, you know, if you're concerned about some of the the developments around these protests recently, um, the murder of two protesters last night by this like wannabe militia kid, you know, I I am no gun-hitting lib or whatever. I would say, you know, educate yourself on firearm safety. Find, like, proper training. And if you feel comfortable and in a position, like, it is ingrained in our Constitution. You have a right to buy a weapon. Um, but please, please learn everything you can about gun laws and gun safety if, if that's something you want to seriously consider um you know these things are just inherently dangerous by the fact of being in your house um so you need to you know really make sure everything is in line if you want to take you know that sort of increased effort to to have a defense for yourself if, if you're really that worried all right yeah folks you heard it here folks you you heard it here first jared holt says go out and buy a firearm <laughs> <laughs> think i uh made jared a little bit uncomfortable there i'm sorry buddy i'm just joking i'm just joking (laughs) i know i know i'm I'm pretty open about how i feel about guns right yeah you know i used to actually be we you know what and i think we should take this opportunity because i think it does feel a little bit that that sort of was in the back of my mind during the rnc today that i didn't feel the previous two days this is happening you know right after the events that transpired late last night and earlier today happened. I think we should take a moment to actually touch upon that because it will feel sort of weird to not. Um, you know, th- this this 17-year-old man 
went down to the protests in Wisconsin from uh, a, uh, one state over. He's from Illinois. And what's his name again? Kyle Rittenhouse. I, I wrote about him today. So, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. That's the thing. Um, and he was a, a, a wannabe militiaman who went and hung out with the local, local militia groups at the, uh, the protest in Wisconsin. Uh, these protests were uh, happening every night in Wisconsin after uh, police shot uh, Jacob uh, uh, Blake, uh, what was it, seven times in the back uh, mm-hmm. for not listening to their orders and approaching his car when they told him not to. Um, of course, you know, that's obviously what you do when an unarmed, unarmed black man is not listening to you. You shoot him seven times in the back, right? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, and... These protests have been happening nightly, and this guy goes down with his his uh, militia buddies armed, and he gets in some sort of altercation, and he shoots someone in the face. That person died. Then there's a video going around that shows the protesters then trying to apprehend him, and they're chasing him, trying to you know stop him. They are, you know, you hear all these right wingers out there going. Because they only see that second video of people chasing him. They go, oh, he's acting in self-defense. No, actually, it was the protesters acting in self-defense, trying to stop the guy who just murdered their fellow protester. So they're approaching him, and they, they grab him, and he shoots one of them in the chest and another one of them in the arm. The one who gets shot in the chest also dies. So you have this 17-year-old, and his Facebook profile came out, and he's a Blue Lives Matter guy. He really has a fetish for the cops. He is, like, obsessed with law enforcement. Um, and he has a, a, a TikTok video of him front, front and center at a Trump rally in January. And he walks up to police with his hands in the air after uh, shooting these protesters. They walk right on by him. They just go right on by uh, he's just walking around with this firearm right after he's murdered two people just in the streets of Wisconsin. No one's doing a thing to him. No one's apprehending him. No one at all. So uh, this morning, uh, you know, people online start seeing these videos uh, from the previous night and the word gets out of his name and his information. And, you know, finally charges were 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 filed and he was apprehended back in his home in Illinois. So, you know, he had a... He had a nice what, less than like twelve hours to get his uh, to get his ducks in a row and say howdy duty to his mom and dad. I'm sure you know the same thing that all black people in this country uh, also get the privilege to do when police arrest them and or uh, shoot them uh, without any uh, reason or due process. Uh, you know, it was just a stunning uh, thing that went on. And then right before the RNC, you have. Uh, what was it? the NBA, the MLB, and the WNBA basically shut down the players who were supposed to play tonight, a number of them being teams from Wisconsin, uh, just going on strike, basically, uh, because of this police shooting. And I'm sure the the militia shooting added to the whole uh, atmosphere that made them feel like they needed to take a stand. Right. And you had all day, even after it was announced that uh, the shooter was receiving first-degree intentional murder charges, um, which for, you know, first-degree is a hard murder charge to stick. I'm no lawyer, but, you know, I would imagine law enforcement found something when they arrested him that, you know, kind of got the premeditation part, you know, sealed up. I, I find it hard to imagine they would go 
out of the gate for first degree um, if they didn't have something that isn't publicly available. I've also um, I've also heard that uh, they might be purposely charging him with more than they think he'll he could possibly get, so he doesn't. I actually would usually believe mm-hmm. that one, but I think the evidence in this case, the rarely I think do you have this amount of video evidence. I mean, you have a number of social media posts where basically uh, this 17-year-old man was going around, you know, basically online saying how he couldn't wait to go down there and enforce the law. And, you know, he literally drives 30 minutes out of the way to another state, one state over, to roam the streets in this town in Wisconsin with his firearm. Uh, I mean, it doesn't get, perhaps I get why people would think that. And maybe in other cases that would be true. But I think this one is, it's just too obvious. It doesn't get any more blatant than that, that that's why they're charging him with the first degree murder. And, you know, I should say, we probably don't even have to, but like, was this mentioned at the RNC ever, Matt? Like, would this come up at all? No, no, absolutely not. Of course not. Because, well, well. A, part of it is because so many of these actually are pre-taped speeches. Uh, but, <laughs> right, but, right. But, we do have to to acknowledge that. Right. But also, the live speeches didn't mention it. But, and I'm glad you brought this up, because something did hit me. And Mike Pence, when bringing up the protests and the, the, you know, the, the unrest that has spread throughout the country in the wake of the murder of George Floyd... And then after George Floyd was killed, uh, pre, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, cases from earlier in the year and, uh, you know, cases that have happened, uh, incidents that have happened after all come out and, 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 you know, show the rest of the country again. Like, it's not just George Floyd. There's countless others. You know, you know we just talked about uh, uh, Jacob Blake. We could bring up Breonna Taylor. There's just so many cases just from this year alone, really. But... Pence brings up a casualty. I, 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 I don't know if he used that word, but he defined this person as a casualty of the unrest. Mm-hmm. And it was a police, a law enforcement officer named Dave Patrick Underwood. And when he said this name, I was like, that name sounds really familiar. And he's posing this as like, you know, you know we won't forget about this this law enforcement official who died at the hands of this unrest. And, you know, they've built up the unrest in across the country being at the hands of Democratic officials and, you know, the Democratic Party's responsible. And how, why won't Biden come out and take responsibility and apologize for the actions that are occurring under a President Trump? But, you know, that's their, that's their, that's their thought process. So I was like, that name sounds really familiar. So I looked up Dave Patrick Underwood and the second the stories popped up, I didn't even need to read them. I immediately remembered who Dave Patrick Underwood is. He is one of the law enforcement officials who was murdered earlier this year, shortly after the um, the uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter protesters star- uh, protests started after George Floyd's killing, who was murdered by a boogaloo boy. Right. He was killed by a movement, a far right wing fringe movement that literally wants to use the protests to spark a second civil war in this country, a race war. 
That's right. what they, and we that's just what... had coming out in Politico today, uh, you know, a couple former DHS officials, uh, you know, spoke out and said that they have been urging the Trump administration to pay attention to right wing extremism and try to do something about it for years and then eventually just quit because they were so frustrated because they just weren't interested in it. So like that paired with Pence, you know, referring to an officer that was, you know, killed by a right wing extremist is like an example of the unrest in Democratic run cities uh, was like at best woefully misinformed and at worst like absolutely disgusting. Oh, definitely not misinformed. They know what they're doing. They know they, they, you can't you can't write a speech and put that name in there. You know, and not so. Oh, why, why is this name in the speech? Who is this officer? They look it up. I mean, because Pence didn't put it together, or, or obviously the Pence's speechwriter had to look up uh, police officers killed during the protests. And what they'll find actually is there's not being a single death attributed to Antifa or the Black Lives Matter movement. There's been no murders attributed to those protesters. Uh, there's been studies done comparing the the. V- right-wing violence and the supposed left-wing violence and it these studies continuously turn up no violence in terms of life-threatening uh you know fatal injury from the left yet i think it's something like in the past two or three decades it's been somewhat something like 326 people killed at the hands of right-wing extremists um Mm. you know it is it is, you know, what I think is that, you know, the 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 uh, U.S. intelligence hands the Trump administration this information about these um, these far right extremist movements and fringe groups, and they throw in, you know, the details of some of these members, and what the Trump administration probably does is they run through the spreadsheet, copy and uh, you know, copy those emails from those uh, extremist groups and paste them right into their campaign mailing list. To be quite frank. I mean, <laughs> it's. it's I, I mean, the DOJ has cracked down on some like really, really intense neo-Nazi groups, but um, you know, the job is far from done. Uh, you know, by the time the DOJ, you know, after El Paso happened, uh, white supremacists shot up. I think it was a Walmart. Um, you know, it was it was kind of like the same situation we're seeing with QAnon now. It's just like you're putting the toothpaste back in the tube, man. Like you're you're just not gonna do it. It's you're too late to this problem, to like really nip it in the bud. And now you're just doing cleanup work. Um, but you know that's a whole another conversation for another night. And to connect Pence's speech though with the the what happened even more directly connect Pence's speech to what happened earlier. Um, there are still boogaloo groups on Facebook. And even though Facebook apparently has deemed them to be a dangerous organization, which under their policy means that they're not allowed on their platform, but there's still boogaloo groups on Facebook. And after the information came out about um, uh, Rittenhouse killing these two protesters, what what happened in these groups was two things. One, they're, they're debating. There's some infighting in the boogaloo groups about whether um, uh, Rittenhouse is a boogaloo or not because... So you know how some Boogaloo uh, boys love police and some Boogaloo boys also uh, actually don't like the police. So mm-hmm. there is some disagreement there. But one thing that they were fully on board with from what I've seen, uh, the screenshots I've seen and what I've seen in these groups, 
is that they're heralding him as a hero because his his actions committing these these violent acts at the protests get them one step closer to their uh, their their you know their dreams of a second civil war. So you know, Pence is uh, basically trying to sugarcoat or or at least uh, ignore the idea that the the officer who died that he mentioned in his speech was killed by the same people who are uh, who is it was killed by someone who looks up to uh, who who is being looked up to as a hero to the same groups that um you know uh, killed this officer you know it's like uh, geez I mean I, when I heard him say that name I, and I looked up who, who that officer was I was just like wow could you get any could your timing be any worse with this really I mean right. So it looks like we've got somewhere in the ballpark of like 10 minutes left. So I'm just going to run through, you know, any sort of things I thought were notable that we heard during the night that we didn't talk about as main topics. Um, You know, there was so much talk of these protests happening in major American cities like Portland, Seattle, etc. Um we had Scott Dane, shout out to the loggers of America. We love our loggers, folks. Um, you know, he his brag on Trump was that, like, Trump cut the red tape around, I guess, like, protected uh, forest area, which he also, just like the main uh, lobster fisherman yesterday, was, like, admitted in his speech, like, oh, yeah, we don't, like, cut trees down in that area anyway, but, like... Thank goodness now we're not like forbidden from it or something. You know, well, I well, he, I might he, be misunderstanding that, but that's kind of how it came across. He blamed he blamed Obama and Joe Biden for wildfires, <laughs> yeah. which which is funny when you know you actually understand the science of why California is is literally burning at times and wildfires are becoming more prevalent in that state. When you understand the science behind it and the contributions from climate change. Uh, it's actually quite the opposite. Uh, you know, Donald Trump is, if you're going to blame a sitting president for wildfires, it's the one who's denying the causes of these wildfires. Uh, one of my favorite lines uh, was from Senator Marsha Blackburn. She said uh, that uh, leftists want to cancel the police officers. So I'm I'm picturing like all of these you know, abolish or defund police movements that are going on and these discussions that are happening within sort of the broader progressive left uh, as being reduced down to, like, tweets that are just like, L.A. Police Department, you're canceled, bro. Like, <laughs> I, right. I, for some reason, I just got this, like, very funny mental image in my head. Um, I mean, I always... I, I, I may I, be I, alone I, I, in that. I always go around canceling the police. Every every I walk down the streets of Manhattan and I see a, a police officer walking by and I just canceled, just <laughs> canceled. That's what yeah, I yeah. And then you get to, you get to take his badge after that. So it's true. You it's know, true. It's I, I, I have in my desk right here just a pile of NYPD badges that I've uh, I've t- and there's nothing they can do about it. Obviously, they just you know that's what happens They're in Demo- What are they what, gonna do? That's what happens in democratic run cities. Bill de Blasio has deputized everyone to just basically cancel police officers. Uh, you know, uh, Sister Dee Dee Byrne, that oh, right. I, the, I, I'm going to get it wrong. She's not like a nun, is she? I'm not familiar with Catholicism at all. At she, all. She, she, I mean, I don't, I don't know if she is a nun, but there are nuns in, in the Catholic Church. 
that is a Catholic thing. She, I mean, she's like a superior or something. But are, are you are you saying that she she wore the uh, the nun outfit as a lie? Like I'm I'm familiar with what you're talking about. No, I I mean I'm not saying she's lying. I'm sure that she it holds the position related to the church that she says she does. But uh, you know, between her, between Lou Holtz, no relation, uh, and uh, you know, a couple other speakers, you know. This was also a night where they went really hard in on Biden and Harris uh, about their support for women's reproductive health, uh, calling them, you know, the most anti-life presidential ticket ever on the ballot. Um, so I thought that was certainly notable, especially because uh, the, you know, anti-abortion movement is still such like a huge animating force in right-wing politics. You know, this is going to resonate with a huge amount of the base. But you know, and I could say this as as uh, as a you know, technically still a Catholic, uh, but uh, you know, um, I have experience. You might not know this, Jared, but I am a former altar server. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh. Uh, and um, I can tell you from experience that while the Catholic institution is very conservative, a lot of Catholics. Uh, are Democrats. In fact, I would say the majority of Catholics, uh, and it's not like, you know, it's not like something that's like, you know, 90%, but something probably that's like upper 50s to 60% of Catholics, I would, I think I've seen statistics like that, are Democrats. It's not like the evangelicals where they are, you know, you are, you know, this is a, a religious, uh, you know, uh, entity that, that votes Republican. Catholics aren't like that. Um I mean, to be fair, also the evangelicals uh, don't uh, <laughs> very hold Catholics in very high high esteem. So, because Catholics, I guess, are sort of looked looked at as the uh, I don't know as the the elitist of Christianity because they're all from those you know a lot of Catholics in New York. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, so I don't know what they, who they're appealing to there, especially if you have someone like Joe Biden on the ticket who you know. One thing Catholics also like is a, is a Catholic to vote for. Uh, look how, you know, I could also tell you that Catholics love their JFK. I mean, uh, you know, because he was a Catholic. Right. And, and sort of the last thing I'll bring up as we're starting to close out here um, is sort of an observation I had tonight. Um, and I guess they've been doing this for a long time, but it, for some reason something just clicked in my head. Uh, when I was watching tonight, it seems like the strategy here at the RNC is not to attack Biden on his specific policy proposals. It's to allege that Biden is, you know, in cahoots with the radical left and then to attack the radical left's, uh, you know, quote unquote, radical left's policy proposals like the Green New Deal came up a couple times tonight. And I don't think Biden supports the Green New Deal, does he? No, no, no. They, they are running against a Biden. That, a Trump that doesn't exist is running against a Biden that doesn't exist. This is the fictional election, Jared. Right. It, it, it's like two cosplay versions of each candidate fighting out in the arena. And I guess like politics is always like that to some degree. But this is just, I, I mean, maybe this was just like because I you know, got a job writing about politics for a living. I'm plugged into it all the time. And maybe I just notice it more. I'm, I'm 
willing to to say maybe that's why I feel like this, but uh, it just seems it's so bizarre feeling, man. It's so bizarre. I I wish I had better words for it, but it just feels icky. It's yeah. It's you know. It's because it, the, the, it, it, it's so the whole thing is bizarre, man. Like the whole thing is just crazy. We're we're in th- we're in the third night of an event that basically is talking about a president, a version of the president that doesn't exist, a version of the economy that is no longer and hasn't been for over half a year now. They're talking about a country that doesn't exist. They're talking about a, a, a an opponent in the presidential election that doesn't exist. It's it's ludicrous. I mean, Pence was quoting Bernie Sanders to attack Biden. It's like, yeah, B- Bernie lost. That's that's the thing here. You're you're you know, Bernie lost because Biden's not going to do what Bernie wants. I wish, I wish your what you're saying is true, uh, Pence, but it's not. Um, I mean, it's not. Uh, I, to some extent, some of them know that, and they're just saying it because they know their base will eat it up, and they're taking advantage of the the people who they want to vote for them. And then I do think there are people who who don't uh, don't. I mean, Republicans often do not get the the intricacies of the ideological spectrum. You know that they just look at it as black and white, Republican Democrat. Uh, and you know it's sort of true that I guess people on the right. Uh, I guess unless you're like a Richard Spencer who uh, gets so upset that your party isn't racist enough that you leave the party. But the the various uh, right-wing spectrum from, you know, the center-right all the way to the far fringe-right usually end up just getting on board with their party's decisions. Um, whereas the left, from, from center-left liberals to, you know, the progressive wing to even the far left— you know, and you have various different subgroups within all of those, they get more, you know, they have a little bit more infighting, I would say, and don't all, you know, hop aboard the same train in the end. And Republicans never seem to pay any attention to that. They never voice their, their, any awareness that that exists. It's all just, you know, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden are the same person. AOC and Nancy Pelosi are the same person. Uh, I guess the only people who are different to them are like Ilhan Omar because they would like to attack her as being the an, an other, as a terrorist, you know, ooh, a Muslim woman who is in office. Uh, but other than that, to them, pretty much all the Democrats are the same. Right, and, and nuance is not advantageous to them. Uh, you know, so so I don't anticipate that that is going to change anytime soon. Um but I'm looking at the clock here. It looks like we are starting to round out. Do we have any more uh, super chat questions that came in? Um, we have one more. So let's let's do that one last. And I just there's really two short ones. There's two more short speeches I want to talk about. Do you have like another yeah. minute or two? All right. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So one is uh, uh, I can never say her name, even though she's the White House press secretary, Kaylee McKenney. I think that's right. McKenney. McKenney. There's an extra N in there, actually. She did the speech that we were talking about yesterday that none of the Trump children gave. The speech that speaks to a personal experience with Donald Trump that should, in essence, bring him a 
em- you know, give give people an empathetic look at him at a human level. And it was how you know her her you know it's very you know I'm, 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 you know unfortunate story about her 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 history with breast cancer, but her personal experience with Trump is that uh, when she uh, was in the hospital after undergoing uh, her surgery, the Trump family, including Donald Trump, called her to check on how she was doing. And in essence, that should have been what we were talking about yesterday, right? That personal experience. And I'm not going to attack Kaylee's personal experience here. I'm going to just talk about the purpose of a speech like that and how it didn't deliver. Usually you then take that that, that personal experience and pivot it into how it translates to the broader country. She didn't do that. It was just, this is what happened with me. And that's why I like Donald Trump. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it was bizarre. It wasn't like, you know, when the Joe Biden uh, uh, videos and speeches talk about the loss he suffered, he, the, it usually then segues into, you know, so, so Biden knows what it's like for those coronavirus, those families who lost loved ones during the coronavirus. Biden understands what it's like to lose a young child to gun violence in a school shooting because he lost a young child in a car accident. Joe Biden knows, understand, you know, there was none of that. It's almost like her experience is so unique that there's no way to really translate it to anything else Trump has done. Right, exactly. Like it was a very kind of, it struck me as still a very insidery kind of story. Uh, you know, this wasn't Trump just like checking in on a random American that he heard about and cared so much about. Like this is somebody who is still very much in like the Trump world orbit. Um, and it's like I'm friends with Trump and he called to see if I was OK after a major surgery. And it's like, well, uh, it's kind of a low bar, you know, right. I, right. Well, if one if one of my friends had a major surgery, I would probably try to check in on them at some point. But right, that's another really great that's point. Just me. Right, right. You're, you're, yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and then the last person I want to talk about, just because I don't really think his speech was anything special, but I think we'd be remiss to not mention him on a night where he had his big speech, and that's uh, old Dan Crenshaw. <laughs> just want to put him <laughs> out there. <laughs> I mean, every time I see that guy, all I could think of is just how angry I am that he was given a platform on a very popular uh, network television show because they made a joke about him and he whined like a baby about it. So they felt like because of his his veteran background, they needed to apologize and put him on air to sort of uh, make him feel better. What was the joke? Wasn't it that like Dan Crenshaw lost an eye trying to suck his own dick or something like that? It was something like that. I think they called him a pirate or something like that. I've, I don't even remember what it was because it was so lame and silly and unimportant. Yet the, the, the party that loves to shout down cancel culture and, and every comedian needs to be edgy. And I hate the snowflake comedians that are too afraid to do that, to say what they want to say. They were the first ones to cry about Crenshaw, you know? It's always how it is, man. It's freedom from speech, not freedom of speech. Right. So, all right, we got two Super Chat questions here right now. Uh, Renee, 
Thoughts on Chicago boy Charlie Kirk's opening up for fascism with his constantly shrinking face. Well, that was on the first night, Renee. I guess you missed us mm-hmm. the first night. Yeah, I mean, all I have to say about that, really, I don't really remember what he said too much now that we're in day three, but I was a little bit, I think I said this that night, too. I was surprised that they gave him the uh, the opening uh, slot there. I think that was a big, uh, I think that shows, I guess, how much, at least the Trump family views Charlie Kirk as perhaps a future uh, big name in the party. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you, Matt, there that like that opening slot. I mean, that's that's a primo slot, you know, and Charlie Kirk got it. And then he used it to, you know, ramble on about Trump being like the bodyguard of Christians uh, or not Christian, but Western civilization. I mistakenly said Christian because I think we all know that's what he means um, from from all of his rhetoric from years past. Um, And I think kind of in a way, you know what Charlie Kirk talked about in kind of maybe more explicit terms is to, is kind of the main theme of what we've seen going through this convention that America is in an existential crisis against uh, forces that seek to change it forever in the only way to preserve America from those who wish to replace it you know that that old dog whistle uh, is to vote for Trump again right right and here's the final super chat of the night. Uh, Rexall has a question for the both of us, Jared. Are you ready to answer this? Let's go. Are you guys Antifa? I would consider myself opposed to fascism. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a part of like any sort of organized Antifa whatever. Jared, don't be so modest. Folks, you are looking at the leader of the Antifa <laughs> movement right here. Jared Holt. He is... Antifa super soldier. You know, the, it's one of those things. He's the original Antifa super soldier. Um, when the ooze fell into the sewer, he was the first person to, <laughs> to become the Antifa super soldier. Um, yeah, I, 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 I am also uh, an anti-fascist. I am also Antifa. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, again, there is no... When you say, are you guys Antifa, it's basically, are you guys anti-fascist? And, yeah, unless... and I, th- I think any patriot who loves this country should be anti-fascist. Right. We have fought two world wars over this shit. Let's not do it again. Right. Exactly, Jared. And with that, we got, uh, we got you know... Oh, wait, someone made the point that... Uh, this isn't a super chat, but I think it's a good point to make. Uh, Kaylee actually attributed her experience to pre-existing conditions and mentioned how it was Trump who was fighting for to cover pre-existing conditions, which I feel like I couldn't let slide here without us mentioning it. Uh, it's an absolute lie. There couldn't be anything further from the truth. Usually, you know, the Republicans like to bend the truth and, and lie about things that they don't support. But in this case, they are lying about something that they actively oppose. I mean, it's 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 something I just can't let stand, so I had to mention that there. The Trump administration is actually the administration, the Republican Party as a whole, is the party that actually has fought to actually take away the coverage for people with pre-existing conditions, healthcare coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. Nothing could yeah, be further it, from the truth. 
and I haven't checked on this in a while, but um, last I heard, the Trump administration was actually in court trying to like argue why it should be able to rip apart parts of the ACA. So that that that's absolutely ludicrous. Right, and look at that Tina who 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 gave us that comment. I guess the live stream is a little bit uh, uh, delayed. She literally just sent that same comment as a super chat. Little did she know she's she she could have got it for free. But thank you, Tina, for the support. I appreciate it. Uh, it's what what how does that last more set song go again? It's a free ride when you've already paid. There you go, Tina. That's you today. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Hey man, she's getting a, a, a brief musical performance from you. I think that's worth something. Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, so folks, uh, let's do the plugs and we'll see you tomorrow. Matt Binder of doomed youtube.com slash Matt Binder. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. I live stream every week or like this week, multiple times a week for special events like the RNC. You can check out the audio version of the podcast at doomedpod.com. Uh, find me on any social media platform. Just search Matt Binder. I'll come up if I'm not at Matt Binder on the platform, which I usually am. Uh, and uh, what's the other thing I usually... Oh, yeah. Patreon.com slash Matt Binder. If you can financially support this show, uh, I've been very happy with the growth of the patrons in the past couple of weeks. Uh, I really appreciate the support. And if we could keep that going, because I know what's going to happen is when you get into that weird lull where you get stuck at a certain number for some reason, you can't get out of it. Don't want to do that. So uh, Patreon.com slash Matt Binder. Only if you could afford to do so. If not... Subscribe to the YouTube channel or the iTunes podcast. It's free. Go ahead, Jared. Uh, you can check out Shitpost. We do, uh, you know, weekly to bi-weekly releases depending on topics or, or sort of source material. Uh, you can find the podcast at substack, shtpost.substack.com. There you can get email alerts for every new episode, and if you should choose to be so generous, you can financially support the show. It's something I really appreciate. It helps me with production costs and hosting fees, uh, and you know, eventually I want to get to the point where I can be producing bonus content, be compensating guests for their appearance on that bonus content. So, you know, that's kind of the direction we're heading there. Uh, if you're listening to this on a podcast player. The best thing you could do for me right now is jump in the review section and tell me why I suck. One star. Spam it all the way down. Tell me Q is real. Tell me that, uh, you know, I will be censored next from Twitter because apparently I'm responsible for all these bans. Uh, and just, just own me mercilessly online. I want to to squeal like a piggy. Uh, just <laughs> destroy me. I, I feel like I got to say, I just want to say here, you know, um, to my future guests on my podcast, on my show, uh, don't get any ideas from Jared. <laughs> there will be, be no payments for coming on this show. Excuse you. What are you trying to do here? Uh, no, but actually I want to I wanna say here that um, to those of you who are watching this and maybe just discovered Jared from this show or just discovered me from Jared uh, Jared's uh, upload of the show on his podcast – um, we may both be covering the right, but I would say if you look at the episodes of our shows, we actually, there's usually very little overlap in terms of the stories we cover that week. Um, there's just so much happening and we just often, I mean, sometimes we cover the same thing, but oftentimes we're hitting on completely different topics. So if you feel 
like you know, oh, I'll just subscribe to one because the other is not gonna. The other's gonna be. This. That's not the truth at all. They're not. They're, you'll you will get two very different shows from both Doomed and Shitpost, and I think both are worth listening to. There you go. Just wanted to yeah. uh, do that. Just wanted to plug both of us. I'm being a, being nice, Jared. You know, get get in a little yeah, plug yeah, in for yeah, you. We, yeah, we gotta like put on the car salesman outfit and like pull up in the <laughs> golf cart and be like, "Can I help you today? Uh, are you looking to support any podcasts, sir?" All right, there you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Matt Binder of Doomed, and I'm Jared Holt of Shitpost. Uh, thank you sincerely for keeping up with this coverage hopefully this is helpful and if anything i mean you didn't have to listen to the rnc for like three hours today did you right and (laughs) you won't have to uh think about it this way tune in tomorrow to our final night of doing this our final night of coverage of the rnc and you won't even have to listen to trump you could avoid his speech and you'll get everything you need to know about it from this program yeah, we'll don't, do don't. our very best. I, I do imagine that tomorrow night we are going to go past our little hour time slot that we've been aiming for every night. Um, but it's going to be good. You know, I think we're going to sort of branch out, talk about the overarching themes. And then, of course, that Trump speech is just going to be plenty of fodder to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Well, looking forward to doing it tomorrow, buddy. Have a good night. Get a good night's rest. You're going you're gonna to need it for tomorrow strap in folks because tomorrow we're gonna have to become temporary passengers of the trump train (laughs) all right take care everybody